Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Yeah, Everybody, it's the Celtics Blog Podcast. I'm Bobby Manning, and with me back here today, we've had a number of uh, outside guests for about a month and a half now, but the crew is back. Andrew Doxy and Alex Kungu. Hello, guys. Hey, how you doing? How you doing? Hey, it's, it's Andrew. That's good. Yeah, let's differentiate the voices right off the bat. Um, we have stuff to talk about tonight. It's 11.20 at night. We just found out who's going to be playing who in the East. Things were just so up in the air all night long. Luckily, the Celtics game had nothing to do with it, so that alleviated some stress there. Celtics finished 55 and 27, and they are going to get the Bucks. Could have been the Bucks, Heat, or Wizards coming into tonight. Uh, Heat took care of business versus the Raptors. The Bucks lost by 40-ish to the 76ers which was important because the 76ers sealed up the three seed with that win. And Markel Fultz, as we were just talking about, got a triple-double, so he's back. And I could probably rummage off like 25 storylines out of tonight, but first and foremost, it's going to be Buck celtics on Sunday. Not sure of a time yet, but we're going to get into this matchup, which a lot of people were rooting for in terms of ease of uh, competition for the Celtics, but... I've gone back and forth on this a few times because while the Bucks have glaring holes, they also have the best player in the series. Giannis Antetokounmpo is 27-10-5 this year, one of the best players in basketball, and he'll be staring down the Celtics on Game 1. Let's start with Alex. Was this the matchup you wanted? How do you feel about the Bucks? Yeah, so I, I read for, for the blog earlier that I didn't want the Bucks, and for me it was, it was, it was a very simple reason. Superstars win in the playoffs, and right now the Celtics' biggest superstar is Brad Stevens. And I felt that in a series with the Bucks, the coaching discrepancy between him and Joe Prunty would be big enough for us to actually have a big enough of a strategic advantage for us to win. Um, the Bucks are one of the worst defending teams in the conference. Uh, if you watch them tonight, they just don't communicate. They allow all types of dribble penetration. They give up a bunch of corner threes. And those are the type of schematic things that, as a coach like Stevens, can be able to put us in a position to get those type of looks. So just from a, just from the standpoint of being able to match up well, being able to up up one them when it comes to like strategy and stuff like that, I thought Milwaukee was the preferable matchup. So I am happy with this result. Doxy, how are you feeling? 
I mean, I wanted Miami for uh, personal selfish reasons because I wanted to uh, go to a game. But <laughs> if I, um, <laughs> but since I was out of the table, I'm glad that we didn't get Washington. I'm just gonna say that a lot of people were very high seeing how Washington has performed over the last two weeks. Everybody was like, "Yeah, we'll take the Wizards," but I mean, it's it's not gonna. The Wizards at least have the possibility of flipping that switch where they turn into the four or five seed that we predicted them to be at the beginning of the season and that they were for a good chunk of the season. So I'm happy with Milwaukee. Um, I didn't, I want, I preferred Miami just because like I'm, I'm a firm believer in not wanting somebody else on the other team who can drop 40 on you on a given night. And Giannis had a game of 37, a game of 40 and a game of 29 against the Celtics this season. So, um, I don't know if that's going to be enough to beat the Celtics. I, I doubt that it is, but I'm I'm happy with a um, series against the Bucks just for a lot of the reasons that Alex mentioned with all their glaring coaching holes and defensive holes. I think that Boston should be able to pull this out, especially with um, all of our younger guys getting a lot of confidence over the last couple of weeks. There's a lot of interesting um, contributors there in Milwaukee. I don't think you even have to get in too much about what Giannis is going to do because he is jacked up this season. He's put on the weight. He's tall. He's long. And he looks unstoppable. If he gets in the low post, he's scoring. If he gets out on the run, he is scoring. And it feels like just showing up, he's going to put up 28 if you look at his box scores this year. So slowing him seems to be the target more than stopping him. Uh, he was dealing with an ankle injury toward the end of the regular season, I guess. So that might have just been, you know, a little lingering pain that he had to rest off, or it could be a greater concern. We'll see. Um, I'd imagine it was the former, but I'm not informed, so I'm not going to speculate. I guess the one thing you can say about him is uh, the three-pointer isn't really there for him. And that does matter when you're trying to swing a playoff game. But there are other uh, role guys around them. Eric Bledsoe has had an interesting career. Moments of impact. And he has had a tough time getting fully integrated out there, it seems like. But he's still a name that pops out on the box score. You got Jabari Parker, who's back from multiple knee surgeries. Another name that sticks out. But what's the real impact there? And then... Tyler Zeller, an old friend, he sticks out. But up and down the roster, is the support there for Giannis? That's that's what I wonder. What do you think of the supporting cast around Giannis, Alex? Well, I mean, I think it's on paper. It's extremely talented. They're all long. They, they, they offer a, a very like uh, similar profile of being long, versatile, yeah. switchy. It all looks like that on paper. And I think the key guys to watch would probably be uh, Chris Middleton, for sure. Yeah, and here's 20 a, points and a then, game this year, sneakily. Yeah, and then here's another sneaky one. Sterling Brown. He's a rookie. Um, he's kind of up and down like with his play time. But he's another guy who's like 6'5", 6'6", 7-foot wingspan, very energetic, gets after it. And with the team with Boston, who's going to be down, obviously, both Kyrie and Marcus for a indefinite amount of time. Um, he's a guy who can definitely put some pressure on the ball, and we've seen guys like Terry Rozier kind of struggle with pressure. So that'd be that'd be like a little X factor that I'd be watching throughout the series. But I mean, their supporting cast is up and down, and I think the problem with it is that they they just don't know how to really use them, and that comes back to coaching. The way they settle for those mid range shots, the way they don't get their they don't put their players in the best position to succeed. So. Even though I think, like on paper individually, there's a lot of good talent there. 
wonder I just don't see it all coming together in a way that like makes sense based on like each player's like individual upside. Andrew, I'll ask you this. It's something I asked on the um Slack chat about a week ago, two weeks ago maybe. And Matt Moore, our good friend Matt Moore just addressed it on the TL. <laughs> The Celtics have zero expectations, but and you know where the but goes. Of does course. this team? There's have, always a but with Matt Moore. Does this team have expectations to win this series? Yes, and that's just because of the glaring disparity in in the coaching staff, especially because there's this national narrative about Brad Stevens and you know hashtag because Brad Stevens and how you know Celtics fans always hype up Brad as as a legitimate advantage, which he is. I think that that factor is going to play into the narrative that Boston has something to prove, which in reality we don't. I think Boston should be definitely favored to win the series. Um, but to, for for people on the inside, I mean, that's like I just offered the national perspective, but for people on the inside, I don't think there's a lot of um, expectations per se. This team could reach the Eastern Conference Finals. They could lose in six games to the Bucks. I don't think... Um, people in within the Celtics organization or um, level-headed fans, I don't want to call anybody out, but level-headed fans are going to get upset if we lose this series. I kind of would be, but not like extremely mad online. But uh, but and, I think that the national media would, would kind of get on our back a lot for and, losing to the Bucks. But Andrews waffling a little bit there. Alex, what do you think? <laughs> well, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a nuanced and balanced take. This is what, I'm, what I'm doing. All right. Well, 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 since Andrew did that, I'll just go the other way with the. We should absolutely beat the team, <laughs> without a doubt. We should absolutely beat the Bucks. Giannis can Giannis could go 30, 10, and five, and we should still win every single game. This you is think a team we're that we're gonna sweep. This, you think this, we're gonna sweep? No, we're. It's not if Celtics in three. Period. Oh my there is there is there you is no way down. there is no way we can lose this Bucks team. They just got beat by forty points. Oh my god! By the yeah. In the first the quarter, no less. Tra- weren't even trying without Joel Embiid. They were chilling. You guys let Markel Fultz of one hand get a triple double. <laughs> Celtics in three. Period. Brad Stevens, coach of the year. That's my take on that. Oh, I'm not going to disagree there. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if Fultz was missing a hand. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> He's missing an arm. He's missing an arm. I guess so. Uh, all right. X factors for the Celtics from a um, strategic standpoint. Now, what I've been thinking about watching this team since March 11th, I mean, we pretty much have like BC and uh, AC with this team before March 11th and after March 11th. And ever since March 11th, when they lost everyone on the team, uh, it's been that offense that we remember from the Cleveland series last year. Once Isaiah Thomas went down, it just sort of became a pass-heavy offense that was going to feed a good shot. And it all came down to whether uh, said player in an open position was going to be able to knock down that shot or not. Um, That's a trend that I followed throughout the Brad Stevens era because it's just how he runs his offense. You know, one guy's not going to get stuck on the ball unless it's Isaiah Thomas or Kyrie Irving. Um, I haven't looked at the numbers this year. I'm excited to do it because I think it's going to be an important factor for them. But Alex, do you think the personnel they have right now are going to be able to reliably hit shots in the playoffs? Because as we all know... They can play good defense, they can do this and that, but it comes down to who puts the ball in the net come playoff time. Yeah, so I mean, I think for example, this this round, 
because of the quality of shots we're going to get, I think we'll be able to hit enough shots. But I think down the stretch, when it comes down to playing maybe like a Philly or a Cleveland, we just we won't be able to. And I think that happens because if you look at the shooters that we have here, it's kind of like fun to look at it because last year was a lot of like we have guys that can shoot like Jay Crowder and Avery Bradley. When you look at the numbers, it's like they're good shooters when they're wide open and shooting like standstill corner, like catch and shoot shots. But any any other type of shot like situation, it wasn't good. They were below average. And I think with this team, we have guys that Tatum is a good shooter, but he's low attempts, maybe like three attempts a game. Uh, Jalen is a legit shooter. Al Horford is a legit shooter, but he's not a high-volume shooter. Rozier is maybe like our only high-volume three-point shooter who actually like hits it at above 40% rate, and he can be streaky at times. So with that going into his, like his, his first playoff series, with all that responsibility, uh, like playing big minutes for the first time in his career in this setting – I think at the end of the day, whenever the Celtics do get eliminated, that's that that that's going to be the thing. Like we're going to look and say like we just couldn't hit enough shots. So I think it's maybe enough to get through Milwaukee in three, but <laughs> there's just no way it goes down. any further than that. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, that's going to be a key factor. I'm, I'm trying to find the stats, but I'm not going to have them this episode. So we'll get a post up about that at CelticsBlog.com. In fact, we are going post crazy over on CelticsBlog.com because that's the only way to get through it. Right, Andrew? All the injuries. We're going to post through it. Yep. We are going to post through it all. And we have quite a staff to do it now. This staff is getting loaded with more and more talent by the day. Uh, we're going to have more podcast episodes to the playoffs too. Maybe one for every game. That's ambitious, but you got to aim for the moon as the Celtics are going to do this postseason. Uh, what else do we have to discuss here? Uh, personnel. How about rotations? What lineups stick out to you, Andrew, that you want to see run quite a bit in this series? Uh, what do you think the number one lineup is going to be for this team? Because I was under the assumption that they were going to tighten up the rotations hard. You weren't going to see the Naders. You weren't going to see uh, Ojale <laughs> that much. You were just going to see maybe Monroe and Larkin. But Stevens the other day said that the bench is going to be an important part of what they do in the playoffs. So that says to me that everyone's going to get involved. Yeah, I don't think we have the luxury to tighten the rotation because injuries have already done that for us. Yeah. So, I mean, we have, what, four or five guys that are on the... We got 11 players, period, uh, going into the playoffs. Isn't it 10? 10 or 11, yeah. I think, yeah, I think you might be right. might be 11. I don't want Nader, so that makes it 10. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, If if we're thinking about, like, most the most effective lineup, it's probably just going to be our five best guys, which is going to be uh, Rozier, uh, Jalen, Jason, Marcus, Morris, and um, Al Horford, which I, I don't know how that's going to change when Marcus Smart comes back, but I'd be interested, I'll be interested to see how that shakes out. But for the time being in this series, those are gonna, that's going to be the five that we're going to really need and rely on the most. Um, like I said, I don't really want Nader to ever see the floor in a playoff game where the result matters. So I am hoping to see a lot more Odile. I don't think I don't think that uh, Brad Stevens trusts Yabusele more uh, more than Nader at this point, which mm-hmm. is kind of sad because I trust Yabu more than Nader. Um, I don't want this to turn into a Nader dump fest, but. Um, well, but, the fans will love it because that's the. Uh, you know, you're right. Can can you title this uh, episode "Andrew Dumps on Abdelmaid"? Yeah, that will actually draw the most views yet. <laughs> Listen, people will sign up to hear me rant about it. 
We all need to start dumping on us. Um, Alex, um, who is the X factor in this series? Greg Monroe. I think. I like I it. Think, I, I like think it. Moose is going to be the X factor because I think Moose, if if he can stay on the floor and be that hub for the second unit as like a playmaker slash score and slash surviving defensively. Um, I think that's huge because I don't think anyone on the Bucks second unit could really put up buckets. Like when when Giannis goes to goes out, they don't really have anything. They and have Jabari Parker. They have Jabari Parker, who I mean gives up as much points as he scores, also. but that's another that's a whole other story. I think I think I think was be the X factor. And here's another thing: one lineup that I think we're going to see again, three center lineup zone defense. I think it's going to happen again mm. in this series, and I think it's going to work to perfection. That's my bold prediction. The zone defense has appeared quite a bit, which I love to see as a Syracuse guy out there. You don't see that often in the NBA, and uh, that's going to be an interesting weapon for this team. Why do you think they went to that, and what has been effective about it? Because you don't normally see that work in the NBA. Well, I think what makes it effective is that no one else does it like you brought up. And the way they do it, it's almost like they, they, they are so quick to their spots that sometimes you don't even realize that they're playing a zone. And I think that's that's part of what makes it so good. Like the guys are really committed. They know it looks like they practiced before. They fly to their spots, and I think it throws off teams because teams are so used to kind of like always. There's like a certain kind of like flow blood they get into. They're used to getting their shots in certain places. They're used to getting their the ball in certain places. They're used to the defender being in certain positions. So when you switch it up, and all of a sudden like you're playing a zone, and you're not just playing a normal laid back zone. You're in their face and making them have to put the ball on the floor with all that pressure, and then another guy's coming out of nowhere as soon as you go baseline. I think it, I think it confuses him and flusters them because it's, it's not something that they see on a consistent basis. And I think that's why it worked, and I like how Stevens used it in doses instead of it just being like a, like a full thing. It's almost like when the Patriots did that like no-huddle thing for a little bit and, until, the, until the league had to make it illegal. It's just one of those things where, like, if it comes out of nowhere, there's no way, there's just no way to prepare for it, and it worked. And I think it's gonna work again because I don't think the Bucks have the coaching to prepare for it. So yeah, far. and they're they're a bigger, longer team too, so I think you can play that style, which is what the Celtics are comfortable with. You probably would have been seeing faster, smaller pace play against the Wizards. And even the uh, Heat, who have loved going with James Johnson and Kelly Olynyk quite a bit down the stretch this season, here. I think the Celtics are going to be able to work with what they love to see, and who would have imagined going into this season that they'd be playing two centers at a time and you know multiple wing players, Tatum getting time at the two. And I think that's what really uh, brought this zone about as much as anything, too, is that the guys who were playing fit well in a zone. Like I think Steven said it directly about Tatum. Like That's the perfect guy to throw up there at the top of the zone with his length and size. And I have stood next to Tatum and... It might say he's six nine. I would believe it if you told me he was seven feet tall. So I, that. I knew it. He does not look six nine. No, like he looks so much bigger. So you he's, think like he's, he's six, taller than six nine? Oh, he's six thirteen. Yeah, six thirteen. <laughs> yeah. I remember that's, that. That's joke. The Kevin, he's, the Kevin he's Garnett. Kevin Garnett. Joke. Yeah, he's a Kevin Garnett 6'13". Whenever we oh, can throw man. it back to the Kevin Garnett joke, I'm happy. That was another time. Uh, Andrew, they have. Uh, ran some interesting sets of ball time since uh, Irving went down. Of course, Irving was getting the big minutes on the ball when he was out there. Smart would be your next choice. 
Roger's gotten a ton of time on the ball, like seven minutes a game, which is like where Irving was. And uh, you haven't seen Horford on it as much, even though he was last year. And uh, Greg Monroe has emerged a little bit as a point guard in his own right, which Stevens like smirked about after uh, the game where he had the triple-double there. So that's an option now, too. And uh, you've even seen a little bit of point Tatum, yep. which I think is interesting. Uh, who do you expect to be on the ball for this series? Is it going to stay the same? I think uh, I think Rozier is probably going to continue to stay on ball most of the time, just because Al Horford is not. I mean, if we're looking at like the number of total time of ball handling, Al Horford has been functioning more as a quick pass, quick, um, you know, getting things off quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Rozier takes longer to see the floor and process things, and and his role is not really to make that quick pass. But Al Horford uh, operates in the high post a lot, so he's looking for cutters. So I think that number is going to be skewed more towards Rozier um, as the playoffs continue. Uh, Greg Monroe is probably going to spend a lot of time with the ball in his hands because he works in the high post, low post, um, from the elbows. Uh, And when he's playing, usually there's nobody else to handle the ball. Um, Shane Larkin and him have come with a good connection, but... Uh, I I am a big proponent. I, like I was a big fan of the Greg Monroe signing, just because I know that he's just a guy you can throw the ball to and he can get you buckets. Which, in a team lacking offense like we like we do, just having a guy like that is going to be extremely important. Um, and I think it's good for Rozier's confidence too, for him to be able to just have the freedom to know that he doesn't have to give the ball up immediately and he can kind of look for his offense, look for everybody else's offense. So. I think it's a good way to feed shots, too. Having a guy on the ball for that limit of time is inherently going to get them more shots themselves. I think it worked with Tatum a little bit when he was in that capacity. Um, Turnovers are a worry of mine in this series, though, uh, especially against the length. I'm glad you brought that up, Alex. That team is very disruptive with how uh, much space they take up on the court. And that was a problem against the Wizards the other day. And they're not quite the Wizards in transition. But as I said, you're not stopping Giannis when he's getting out in transition. What is your biggest concern going into this series, Alex? And don't say Giannis because everybody in the world knows that. Okay, so my biggest fear is that the rookies look like rookies. Mm. And um, this is this is going to be their first playoff series. Well, for Jalen, it's going to be a second, but this is the first time he's going to be in a big role. For Jason, it's his first time in this. And this Celtics team, the way it's just built right now, as we know, it needs those two guys to score and score at a high level. I, I would even say that they need to at least be combining for like at least 40 points, period. So if they start regressing, if they start looking like they're, they can't be in the moment, they can't be relied on consistently, um, that's a problem for us. Even if we're able to squeak by this series, like, it's, it, it, it definitely puts a ceiling on like, how far this team can go. So outside of like, the normal honest and him getting things going, I think how, how these young guys perform in big moments like this against defenders who are uniquely uh, equipped to defend them, Guys like Middleton and Brown and Brogdon are all long defenders, as we've noted. So if they can't come out and score, it'll be an issue for us. 
It's going to be interesting. This series could go the distance, and the only advantage to that is you're going to get Smart back if it was a Game 7 in all probability, which is going to help um, when you look at the net ratings. Smart's been nearly just as good on off as uh, Irving has been this year, so you get a little bit of a closer semblance to what they were getting back before point guard without the buckets, of course, but um, I'm interested. So Celtics went 2-2 two and two against the Bucks this season, probably... What I'd expect this series to start off as 2-2 because I just know Giannis is going to score, uh, steal a game. I'm glad you guys brought up Monroe as an X-Factor because the bench is going to be a key factor and he's going to be running it from what it looks like. So that's important. Another guy I think that could come into play in this series is Shane Larkin who has been extremely productive even though he's not scoring which impresses me too but also concerns me because the playoffs are about buckets and it's not good to have a guy out there who's not going to put in the net if he disagrees I'm sure he'll tweet us as we know Alex (laughs) I'm going to give him credit he's helped this team a lot he's played a pseudo smart role I should say later in the year with the good drives good dumps on the drive and uh, struggling to shoot from three, just as his predecessor did. All right, if you've got busy lives, guys, i got a quick story for you. Um, I'm, of course, a busy person between going to college, doing podcasts, writing about the Celtics. Every day, I'm just rolling from morning until night. And it's the same way with my mom. I think I got it from her. She's out in the morning, going to work, coming back, driving my sister, back and forth between practice school all of that giving me a call to see what's going on taking care of paperwork for me like it is just non-stop movement and something me and her both share is vision issues if we're in the back of a room we can read what's on a whiteboard want to see what's going on in the distance more clearly we're driving around need just a little bit of help now this isn't something you want to think about within the flow of your day and it's crucial that you have a company that is able to solve the pesky tasks that can get in the way of your day. That's what you pay for. It's all about convenience. You won't have to worry about issues like contacts. Now, contacts, if you have them, you know it's annoying to get a prescription year after year just to be able to buy more contacts. And I'll tell you, those things are expensive. My mom knows that. I know that. Well, Simple Contacts came along and filled that hole that we needed to uh, bring some convenience to our lives. So here's how it works. Me and my mom did this over at spring break. You just pull out your cell phone, take five minutes. You're listening to this half-hour podcast. You can take five minutes from anywhere. And instead of going to a doctor's office, they're going to review it in 24 hours. Real doctor's going to review it and write you a new prescription. Boom, right in the mail, your contact lenses are coming and you don't even have to think about it. All you got to do is spend five minutes to do your vision test. It's easy. It's right on your phone. I know you're on the phone. Checking Twitter anyway. Seeing what I'm tweeting from Real Bob Manning. So, my mom got the package. It was so smooth. Right after work, she came home. It was in the mailbox. And she had all the contacts she needed for the month. That's, this is vision care for the 21st century, guys. Everything's coming in the mail. Our food, our technology. So why not add your contacts to the list? 
They offer every brand of contact lenses, and their prices are unbeatable. Do you know prescriptions start at just $20? And the shipping's free. You cannot beat that. Now, think of this. If you listen to the Celtics Blog Podcast, you're going to get $30 off your first Simple Contacts order. Just go to simplecontacts.com slash banners. Banners broadcast? Banners is going to be your promo code. Let me say that again, simplecontacts.com slash banners, and you're going to enter banners at checkout. I just want to mention, though, that this is not a replacement for your periodic full-eye health exam. You still need to have that occasionally, but it is a way to add some convenience to the eye care process. So again, check out Simple Contacts and get $30 off your order. That $30 in your pocket could do a lot, guys. It's at least half of your playoff ticket. And to get that, simplecontacts.com slash banners. Give it a try and you can thank me later. Uh, Let's get into the season and what it was. 55 wins and who do we owe this season's success to on the court? Who are we bestowing with MVP, Andrew? Jason Tatum. I I would say Jason Tatum, just because he played in, what, 80 games out of 82? He stepped in from day one and was a major contributor. Um, Even though, obviously, he had the security blanket of playing with Kyrie Irving on offense for a lot of his minutes, he made... He was leading the NBA in three-point percentage until, like, late December, which is ridiculous, Um, and still ended up with an insanely high percentage for a rookie. Highest ever for a Celtics rookie in three-point percentage. Um, That's something he secured tonight. Um... He was, cons- I mean, I wasn't. He was pretty consistent outside of his rookie wall phase in January. Was it January or February? Um, he had a right around the All Star break, yeah, so February. Yeah, so he just had a couple of bad games, but for a rookie, you'd expect more bad games than, than he had. Um, there was a saying that we had uh, on in Weird Celtics Twitter, which was "Death Taxes and Jason Tatum getting fourteen and six. Yeah. and that's how that's how consistent he was. I mean, which is. That's, that's all you can ask for, especially in a season where we lose our all-star um, forward. I, it's, it was just remarkable watching Tatum consistently put in, be what we needed him to be. Um, and I remember saying this before the Cavs game. You know, Once I found out that, that Jason Tatum was starting, I immediately said that Jason Tatum was never giving up a starting spot, even though a lot of people thought that Marcus Morris was going to come in and take his spot when he got, when he got healthy. But uh, Tatum kept this spot and he earned his spot and because of it uh even though we've had a revolving door of injuries to Jalen Al Horford missing time Kyrie Smart Terry uh actually no Terry's been pretty healthy um Morris is the guy and, and more yeah Morris um Tatum has been a rock solid so yeah I, I think that being out there every game is MVP. being out there every game as he has been matters too I think he only missed one or two games this season uh, there was a scare with him turning his ankle one game, but he, right. he's been out there. He's been consistent, as you said, and he's defended better than anyone imagined. So he's been a yep. key cog in the defensive dominance of this team as well. I might go Jalen Brown on this one. You know, I'm not going to give it to Kyrie because, you know, missed games, end of the year, da 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 But uh, <laughs> I will say Brown upped his article big time. I mean, oh, I'm reading something right now, and 
that word just <laughs> slipped in there. Ain't uh, Brown upped his scoring immensely stepping into that role with the two. And you were missing a lot at the two with Avery Bradley stepping out. You need a two-way guy to emerge there. And he has just continued to put things on his game here and here to make himself more consistent and prove his game as a shooter. And he has been clutch with multiple game winners or crucial shots on the stretch of games here. And stealing games is what it's all about on your way to 55 wins and I think he's been important in a leadership role as well. You know, you heard him calling out the team's culture early on. He's been outspoken, and he is helped bring all of this together. You know, I worried for a period that he was going in the Jeff Green direction where some nights he'd be <laughs> unbelievable, and then other nights you wouldn't hear from him. But he alleviated that concern down the stretch for me, and I am very thrilled with he's, what he's going to become and uh, what he's going to be in this postseason because, as we know, when they went to him uh, – for periods in the last postseason, even though it wasn't often, he did seem to come through. Alex, are you going to go a more traditional route with this one? Uh, no, okay. I'll give you guys two, but one of them I won't I won't go into detail too much. So first one, Al Horford, mm. for all the usual stuff that, you know, we all we all know about Al Horford. Second one, and I think is more important, let's give some love to Marcus Morris. He started the season oh, off boy. slow. He started the season <laughs> off slow. He seemed to be pressing a little bit. He had the knee injury. He didn't look great defensively. We all got we we all jumped on him for that. But here's the thing: he turned the season around as soon as he got healthy, starting on that Christmas game. He was a plus shooter. He was a plus when he was on the court. And most important of all, he was Jason Tatum's vet, best friend. Kept him kept him in the game. Kept him afloat as he was juggling with his kid and all that. It was Marcus Morris that was there for him. It was Marcus Morris getting buckets with him. And the four, and the fact that he was Jason Tatum's vet, along with the fact that he started getting buckets himself, won us a game in Portland, won us a couple of games during that one streak near the end of the year. I think I think we should have some credit. Marcus Morris for being Jason Tatum's vet, period. Hey, um, Bobby, if, if you don't mind, I, I want to just go on record about Marcus Morris real quick. I was only partially wrong about Marcus Morris. Because in the first half of the season, I was completely right. He was a shot chucker that was taking away shots from good offense. He was clogging up the offense. Um, and I thought that his Christmas Day shenanigan of playing, even though he was still injured with his knee, just to say he played <laughs> on Christmas, that was not cool. But like Alex mentioned, after Christmas and when he finally came back from that knee injury, he's just been phenomenal the, the, the rest of the way. Um, he's been a consistent source of offense when we can't find anything. Uh, I think his shot selection has gotten a lot better. And I think a lot of, I mean, obviously I want to, you know, attribute everything to Marcus Smart, but I think that once the bench got established um, post-Christmas for that that brief stretch, um, the bench was really strong and the shots were being distributed a lot more evenly in the second unit than they were in the first half of the season. So I think that once Marcus Morris kind of got into that rhythm and kind of accepted the bench role, um, because I think before that he was still holding on to being a, a starter in a sense, but once he kind of accepted the bench role, it was a lot less and it was a lot less infuriating to watch him play basketball. Well, so he, I'm very thankful for Marcus Morris and his contributions over the second half of the season. He got his opportunity too to jump into that starting lineup too, and that seemed to motivate him more as well. He for all the people who wanted Carmelo Anthony, if you remember that tirade that Celtics fans had for a while, oh, he he filled a little bit of a pseudo Melo role for them. He he got them buckets in isolation, was 
willing to put up 14, 15 shots a game and had no doubt about it. There were shots he put up in key moments that Kelly Olenek wouldn't have put up. I'll say that if we're using that as a point of comparison. And those those pulled games out of the bag for them. There were a lot of games that they were able to turn around late in this year with great shooting down the stretch. Um, Al Horford got himself a game winner down the stretch of the year. So big ups to him for that. And this team just put it all together this year. Even through all the injuries, even through Hayward, everything that happened, it went so fast that I don't think they were able to even think about it. You had the London trip, all those games early on. This season was insane. And the win streak. took me that long to get to the win streak. Uh, What is your favorite memory looking back on this regular season, Alex? Oh, this is tough. Because uh, as you know, as CEO of the Tatum Train Inc., every moment Jason Tatum touched the floor <laughs> is my favorite moment of the season. That's but all I had, moments, though. <laughs> yeah, I know. But if I had to pick some specific, I don't think you can look any further than that Saturday night game between the Warriors, Kyrie versus Steph. Kyrie playing out of his mind. Steph returned the favor. It was a great back and forth with two great stars. And it was a good time back when we thought, you know, our team was still healthy and alive and we could actually go somewhere. Mm. It was good times. It was, a, it was a look into what might be the future, say, next year of what a finals matchup can look at. And it was just really fun to, for us to kind of have a Kyrie game because most of his big games are with him as a member of the Cavaliers. And it was just cool to kind of see like him have like one of those games in the Celtics uniform against the Warriors. So I, I'd go Boston Warriors. Doc C, give me yours. Yeah, I think I think you both already know what this is. But um, I can't pick anything else besides December 28th, Celtics down by 26 to the Rockets, come back. Marcus Smart draws back-to-back. <laughs> oh, what a game that so, was. No, I know. That, that's game of the year to me. Like, hands down, nothing could beat that. Uh, and just not even the first offensive foul on Harden, but the second one was just, I was in disbelief. And then right after um, the Al Horford game winner, just the, the final, what, two minutes of game time? Actually, like the final minute of game time was insane. You had like a Marcus Smart um, drive to the basket. Then you had Smart dumping off to Tatum. Then you got the back-to-back offensive fouls, and then you had the Al Horford game winner. It was just a perfect sequence of events. I was, I was, I was tweeting a lot, and it was just like the perfect night. And then no. James Harden's look of just utter disgust. <laughs> oh, and and then on top of that, Chris Paul's look of approval for Smart and his acting. That was that was beautiful. Was I, I beautiful. like you know I I like you bringing up the Warriors game because even though it was a loss. It did give you shades of what a possible final series might look like between those two teams that we're just not going to get at this point. And if it happens, we'll just put this right on the air and laugh at ourselves because I think uh, we'll be okay with that. But anyway, Irving in that game, I've had a very complicated relationship with Irving throughout my years watching basketball. Uh, Did not enjoy the trade when it happened. I was very much amused with the old team, the way things were going with that. I think they could have built up that. And to see him prove me wrong all year long, the fact that he could fit in this system, not rely on his isolation game, be able to bolster the um, games of young players around him and feed them shots, 
consistently. The way Brown and Tatum played this year was as much a factor of Irving being able to integrate them effectively as it was their own games, too. There's sort of a 50-50 split there. And he just had everything going in that Warriors game. He was able to attack whatever guards they threw at him. He really seemed to expose that as a weakness with Golden State. And that just didn't seem to be a thing he could do in that game. What, he had seven, eight straight shots to start that game. It was something ridiculous. And at that point, I was like, all right, I was wrong about the trade. And that's that's still my biggest takeaway from this year is I was 100% wrong about that trade. As you saw Isaiah Thomas go down, possibly for his career at this point. We have legitimate questions there. Uh, everything went wrong in Cleveland to the point where that team probably wasn't making the finals unless they blew it up. And somehow, some way they did it without, without giving up the Brooklyn pick or love. But uh, I'm going to be uh, <clears throat> modest here and say I was wrong. There's really no way I can defend uh, my love for the old team anymore. And I'm sure you two feel the same way. Uh, is well, let me ask I, respect, you guys, I respect that you let me ask you guys. Let me ask you guys real quick. So there's obviously been some talk. I've gotten into a lot of discussions with people about Kyrie Irving and whether he's the same person that he was in Cleveland. So we've all seen him in the Cavaliers uniform. We've all Man, seen him say, crush our dreams. Man, names. We know who you're talking hey, to. Matt Do Moore, we man. We're going to start this off right now, Matt Moore. So <laughs> I want to hear from us, from the Celtics fans. Do you guys think Kyrie was the same exact player that he was last year? Or do you see something different in him that you didn't see in Cleveland? Hmm. Okay. First of all, I just want to point out that if he was the same player that he was last year, that's not a bad thing. Fair, but, fair. Because I, I, that, that's just not a bad thing. I think that he was a lot better this year. I, okay, I don't want to say a lot, but his defense, I don't know how the numbers look. I don't know how any of the numbers look. I have not really done a statistical analysis on, on Kyrie Irving, but I know that his defense was more consistent. I know that Kyrie could get up for the big games and, you know, pull the shorts up, get a good p- defensive possession or a string of possessions. Uh, especially in the finals, he was a good defensive guard. But over the course of the season, I saw a better defensive effort from Kyrie, which translated to being, uh, you know, as part of the best defensive team, I'm sure. Um, additionally, I saw him more willing to go through the flow of the offense. Like, I never felt that Kyrie was ever chucking. There was and I did feel... There was one game I, all year like that. That was I was terrified that that was going to define this team this year. Like, is Kyrie going to be able to stop trucking? And it yeah. only happened in one game, like Which the, one? the second game of the year against the Bucks. I thought he chucked the crap yeah. out of the ball and blew that Absolutely. game, and then it just never happened again. Maybe it happened like a few times, but he he just fits seamlessly in this offense. And you know what? I I figured out too over the course of this year as the Cavaliers were falling apart. He was the switch. Like the switch they talked about in Cleveland every single year, well, they couldn't flip it. The reason was is that Irving wasn't there. Like there were yep. different speeds he played the game at that you saw with the Celtics. There were certain games where he was just on his game defensively, and he was able to manage his effort throughout the flow of the season. And Cleveland missed him so much until they found a way to change everything there. So uh, it is what it is. I have to go. So. We'll pick up this conversation after game one. Thanks uh, to Alex Hungu and Andrew Doxy for being here with us. And we will see you multiple times throughout the first round. Good night, guys. See you later, Bobby. Thanks for having us.
Reunion Arena in Dallas, where the Mavs and Lakers are playing tonight, was built in 1980. Now, you couldn't ask for a better facility. It's easily accessible, has all the comforts of a theater, and there isn't a bad seat in the house. But for some reason, there are those who prefer the Boston Garden, mostly those who wear Celtic green. What is so special about the Boston Garden, other than the fact that it's a 1,000 years old? Let's take a look. First of all, a garden, it's not. It's a train station, really. One flight up, and you're on the fabled parquet floor. Now, before you get all misty-eyed about the parquet, take a closer look.